Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hey, it's good to be back after an extended four-day holiday weekend. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm confessing to the fact that I was uh, nothing short of fat and lazy for pretty much the whole weekend. But it was really nice. I hope you had the opportunity to catch up with some family members for Thanksgiving. It was, uh, it was good. It was really great. I have to admit, though, and this threw me. In fact, I got a knock on wood. Knock, knock, knock. Hopefully my brother-in-law, Alan, isn't listening. Um, uh, apparently, uh, the, the memo went out at some point. And everybody in in, uh, my family, all the brothers-in-law, all the sons-in-law and so forth, we all got the memo. It was no shave November. So we all were growing our beards out. And uh, man, my brother-in-law, Alan, I think he's he's a year younger than I am, has the most magnificent white beard. It's, It's incredible. I mean, it's full. It just, it's, he looks so stately and so full of wisdom. You would probably stop and and just, you know, respectfully doff your hat at him if, if you saw him passing on the street. And the cool thing about it, he's such a down-to-earth guy. He's such a an easygoing, fun-loving, happy-go-lucky person. You know, it's not like he walks around commanding respect from everybody. He just, he doesn't take himself too seriously, and, and that's what makes him so much fun to be around. But I was really thrown. And, and, and not so much because, man, he looks older with that white beard, but... It just kind of, it hit me. I probably look at least as old (laughs) to everybody who hasn't seen me in a while. Uh, I I don't have a fully white beard. And and actually, my my beard has undergone the weed whacker treatment. So I'm I'm back to looking well-groomed again, a little less homeless than I was before. But, um, man, I got streaks of white growing. And, yeah, it was just one of those gut check moments of, uh, oh, remember when the old uncles would get together at Thanksgiving, we'd go out and shoot clay pigeons and all Guess what? We are the old uncles. We're the, we're the exact people that the uh, up-and-coming younger generation is going to be tempted beyond belief to say, okay, boomer, to us. Not because we're actually baby boomers. I think we're we're all Gen Xers for the most part. But uh, but we look the part. I don't know. It was just a little bit sobering. So anyway, with that confession off my chest, let's dive in. And there's a lot of t- uh, great stuff to talk about. I want to start with an article published actually last week by the Foundation for Economic Education. This is from Tyler Brent. And it's his explanation why I don't say, okay, boomer. Now, before I share this article with you, I want to confess, I, I was on the receiving end of my, my first actually negatively intended, okay, boomer, comment here uh, sometime last week, actually over the last couple of weeks. And what it came down to was I had posted a, a meme on Facebook that I had seen. And look, I'm not, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not out there carrying water. I don't wear a MAGA hat everywhere. I don't hate the guy, but I'm not, uh, I'm not out there cheerleading for him either. And I say that with the understanding anybody who knows me, anybody, anybody who has been friends with me for any length of time understands. It's just that's not my game. And it's not just Trump. It's just politics in general. I just don't homie don't play that. 
But I saw what I thought was a pretty funny meme, and it was it was a little vinyl stickers. You know how people put the vinyl stickers of their family on the back window of their SUV or their minivan or something like that? Well, this was on the back of a pickup truck, and it said LGBT. And under the L, there's a silhouette of Lady Liberty. Under the B, there's a silhouette of a mug of beer. Under the G, it's a silhouette of an AR-15. You see where this is going, right? And under the T, why it was a silhouette of Donald J. Trump. And I thought it was funny from the standpoint of, you know, the the very people who tell us, you know, calm down, stop being so triggered over everything, are exactly the people who would be triggered over that. So I shared it with a little note, trigger warning and a smiley face. And, you know, I don't know, last time I checked, it had 700, maybe 800 shares of people who had seen it. I can't take credit for it. I just just shared it soon enough that a lot of people were sharing it from my page. Well, apparently some little social justice warriors uh, got a hold of it. And I I don't sit there and hover over every post on Facebook waiting to see, did somebody like it? Has someone validated me today? I just happened to be scrolling through and caught a comment that got my attention because it said, okay, Boomer, why don't you do everyone a favor and go hang yourself with piano wire? And I was like, hmm, seems a trifle personal, doesn't it? <laughs> but then I got looking around and... For for I think the post had been up for at least a week, maybe 10 days, but there in a little two day span, somebody got the word out and like a little cloud of angry, impotent little hornets, they were buzzing around. They're just flinging. OK, boomer. OK, boomer with abandoned, apparently believing that is the worst insult that you could ever throw at somebody like me. Now, I didn't respond to it. There's a part of me that was like, you know, I'd, I'd like to just let them know, guys, push the buttons all you want. They're not connected to anything. So hammer away. But I realized what they're trying to do is elicit a response. And part of the maturing process, part of that gray hair in my beard is learning to let it go and just, yeah, you know what? What you think of me is none of my business. So when someone is really trying to elicit a response or get some clap back for something that they've said, the worst thing you can do is indulge them. Much wiser still to just ignore them. Let them, no, get it out of your system. As an adult, I'm, you know, moving on with more productive things. But for some people, that saying, okay, boomer, really Hits the nerve that, uh, I mean, it's, I, I, come on, Bob Lonsberry, talk show host, he's quite well known to a lot of people, was actually saying that is the equivalent of saying the N-word. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch there, but it's, it's certainly intended as a manifestation of disrespect. And it's funny, my kids were all laughing at it. In fact, my kids, I had to tell them, don't you go on there and start to... Don't don't go in there and try to defend me or anything. Just, you know, we're going to follow the rule of 24 hours, which is this. If someone says something snotty on the Internet and you don't say anything back within 24 hours, it's gone. It's done. It's forgotten. Unless you're, you know, Joe Biden or somebody like that. But if you say something, you automatically tack another 24 hours of relevance, relevance rather onto that snotty comment. Which is, I guess, just a fancy way of encouraging people grow up. If someone's offering offense, you are not obligated to take it. 
And if you can understand that, you know, the person who's so angry and just spitting and hissing, you know, it's best to just let them get it out of their system. Don't let them drag you into a fight because they will turn out to be a tar baby and then play the victim if you respond in kind. If you say something unkind, whoa, look at this, he's attacking me. <laughs> I've played that game before. It's, it's a waste. But if you have wondered about this okay boomer, I want you to hear the take that Tyler Brandt has. Tyler Brandt says if you spend any time on the internet or, by, or time with those who do, you've probably heard the phrase okay boomer by now. He says, perhaps you've been okay boomered yourself, or maybe you've okay boomered somebody else. And he says, the meme is one of the popular things, most popular things being discussed right now. And for good reason, for those who don't know what it is, let's go ahead and put this to rest. Okay. Boomer is a retort to elders who claim to know better than the young for some reason, right? Like that life experience and those decades of of life are going to teach them anything that I don't know at, at age 15. Boomer, of course, refers to the baby boomer generation, people born between 1946 and 1964. It's meant to be cutting and condescending, mostly because younger generations feel like it's a return of the treatment they get from boomers. Generation Z and millennials feel like they've been given short shrift for not buying homes, for not getting married, for not having kids. They're psychologically scarred and their habits are killing countless industries, they're told. They spend too much time on their phones and they're socially progressive. So, OK Boomer is a response to all of those judgments. And by the way, I think there are people who do heap those judgments on young people. It's a meme, says Tyler, born out of frustration with those who tell them to work harder when confronted with concerns over the environment or inequality or cost of living, cost of housing, cost of health care or lack of jobs. So he says, for this reason, the OK Boomer meme has exploded. And he says, although I understand the concerns of those who use it, after all, he says, I'm a 23-year-old Gen Zer. I choose not to use the phrase. And then he gives three reasons why he personally does not fling that around like his personal weapon to put those boomers in their place. Now, we're coming up on the break here, so we're going to pay a couple of bills. Then we'll come back. I'll share with you those reasons that he gives. I think these are extremely well thought out. And actually, I think he's mature beyond his years for approaching it like this. So I guess the message here is if someone has okay boomered you, take heart. You're going to find out that, first of all, it's not that big of an insult to start with. And secondly, Tyler Brent has some really cool insights as to why he personally won't stoop to those kinds of insults. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Hey, if you'd like to get in on the conversation, whether you're a boomer or a uh, millennial, a Gen Xer like myself, <laughs> sitting here watching all the uh, commotion from a safe spot, 801-331-8113. Now, I really, I really don't get all the intergenerational uh, friction that's going on, but it's a real thing. And frustrated uh, millennials are hurling this phrase, okay, boomer at uh, people who they feel are lecturing them or telling them, get a haircut, straighten up, fly straight, fly right, or whatever. You know, okay. We can be, we can be a little bit uh, condescending. Okay, we can be a lot condescending. But uh, 
there there's some frustration. And I, I think I've told you before, I, I feel for these younger generations, including my own Gen X and Gen Z and whatever will follow. There's a lot of stuff that we are all inheriting that came before. Some of it is a product of the baby boomer generation. Some of it, the greatest generation before them. But there's there's a lot of uh, stuff being handed down to us that we really had no say in. So I can understand some of the resentment. Still, when I encounter somebody like Tyler Brandt, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, who says, I choose not to use this phrase, OK, boomer. And he gives these reasons why. First of all, he says it's lazy and dismissive. When engaging in an argument or a conversation with anyone, he says it's not a good idea to use an ad hominem or personal attack. This is essentially what OK Boomer amounts to. It's an attempt to invalidate or dismiss someone's opinion because of their age, which is a big no-no if you ever want to win hearts and minds. So he says, let's say there's a situation where you're just itching to OK Boomer somebody, OK? Thanksgiving dinner at Aunt Karen's house. All your favorite cousins, aunts, uncles, and grandparents are there. Dinner's ready. You all gather around the table and start feasting. And right as you dig into the turkey, Uncle Bob starts complaining about all them illegals stealing good American jobs, wanting to build the wall 10 feet higher to reduce crime. Well, instead of saying, "Okay, Boomer, you have an opportunity to engage Uncle Bob in dialectic conversation. Thanks to the glory of the information age, you pull up Fee's article, Three Common Immigration Myths Debunked, and rebut your uncle with logical pointedness. Uncle Bob, you say, since 2012, Mexican workers have been leaving the U.S. at a higher rate than they're arriving. This drop in immigration has negatively affected our economy. In fact, the National Association of Home Builders estimated the number of unfilled construction jobs in the U.S. almost doubled between 2014 and 2016. Now, he says, Uncle Bob is befuddled at your calm, fact-based, non-hostile response. He's never heard a 20-year-old treat his political opinions with respect before. You continue. Also, dearest uncle, research shows that immigrants and illegal immigrants are less likely to be criminals than native-born Americans. In addition, you are more likely to win the lottery or die in a plane crash than be murdered by a terrorist attack by an illegal immigrant. Now, Tyler Brandt says Uncle Bob isn't totally convinced, but he responds, well, Junior, I'd have to look at those facts. Now, if you just OK boomered Uncle Bob, he might have responded, did I trigger you, little snowflake? Tyler says, you might think I'm joking, but this is a real headline. Hey, snowflake, don't OK, don't OK boomer me at work. <laughs> ah, drama. <laughs> now, Tyler Brandt says, granted, this is a hypothetical and I get to make up all the answers, but... Treating others with respect and engaging them in a reasoned argumentation is always a better method than disparaging them. He's right. If you do happen to argue calmly to the boomer at your Thanksgiving table and your cranky uncle still spouts off nonsense or becomes hostile, hey, at least you tried. Take pride in the fact that you carried yourself better than your elder. Now, his next reason is one that uh, I think... We'd all be wise to, to consider, and that is some elders are wise. Tyler Brandt says, in addition to respectfully arguing with older folks, he says, I choose not to OK Boomer them because I do believe they have wisdom to impart. Well, some of them anyway. To be fair, he says, boomers can give some bad advice, especially when dealing with emotionally turbulent situations. Just suck it up and get over it. 
as if psychological repression implies others should suffer in the same way. Now, not all advice should be taken, of course, especially unsolicited advice. But the benefit of being young is that you can ask older people questions about their life experience and find out how they dealt with some of the same issues that you are currently going through. For instance, he says, there have been many times in my life where I've tried to figure out problems on my own without asking for help and suffered longer because of it. So he says, some of the best questions I've asked are the following, and these are really great questions. How do you know you found the one? How do you know what to do with your life? What are you grateful for that you didn't have growing up? What things have changed for the, for the better and what things have changed for the worse? And think about those questions for just a moment. If you're sincerely asking those of someone who is older than you, think about the answers that you could get. See, I happen to be a big, big believer in drawing upon the power of experience, even if it's someone else's experience. Bottom line is there's an awful lot I don't know. I think this is this is actually one of the things that I miss most about uh, about not having my dad around. It was 30 years ago this last weekend that my dad um, sat me down and told me that uh, he was terminally ill. I knew that they had suspected maybe his his cancer had come back. He had been in remission for about 12 years. But when he sat down and told me, hey, I just need you to know uh, the cancer is back and the doctors say that there is nothing more that they can do at this point. I was 23, almost 24 years old. And I had no idea what to do. In fact, my the, the first question I asked him, this is this is how how my mind was trying to get around it. I, I couldn't I couldn't make myself believe he was telling me I'm dying. So he tells me, you know, the doctors say there's nothing more they can do. And the first thing I ask him, so what does that mean? <laughs> Duh, hello. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, I look back on it now and I think that was about the stupidest question I think I've ever asked. But I could not make myself believe he was going to be gone. And about two months later, he was. Now, back to my original point. I can't tell you how many times in the last 30 years I've wished that I could ask him for his take on some of these same kinds of questions. Yeah, that old saying of don't know what you got till it's gone, that has crossed my mind many times. Now, fortunately, I'm very blessed to have a fairly wide circle of friends and acquaintances and and influences in my life. And, and I know people that I can go to who I would trust to ask some of those deep questions. And I bet you probably have a pretty good circle of influence around you as well. As Tyler Brandt points out, by asking questions about life experience, you can't get a wrong answer. You just observe people's guiding philosophy and how it's helped or harmed them. He says, after listening, you can make a decision for yourself whether to take any advice that was given. Worst case, you have more information than you did before to help you make your decision. Okay, final reason that he doesn't use OK Boomer is not related to the Boomer generation at all, but for reasons why others use the phrase. OK Boomer subtly places blame on Boomers for making the world worse for millennials and Gen Z. 
Boomers are blamed for student loan debt, for ruining the housing market, for ruining the economy in general. Now, student loan debt is an issue, but he says, is it fair to blame a whole generation for the problem? Maybe the problem is government-backed loans, which give colleges no incentive to lower prices. Housing prices are astronomically increasing, especially in major cities in New York and California. But why? He says, I would argue that restrictive zoning regulations make it harder and more expensive for developers to build housing. So it should be no surprise that when housing is made more scarce, it becomes more expensive. And he says, as for the economy, things might seem bad, but in fact, things have never been better. And he actually backs this up with a couple of interesting quotes. I'll share those with you. Just the other side of this news update. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. Brian Hyde at your service, 801-331-8113 is our number. I'm sharing with you an article by Tyler Brandt. Sorry, I almost gave him a different last name. As to why he doesn't use the phrase, okay, boomer. And he's got some pretty good reasons here. First two are that it's lazy and dismissive. If you want to argue with somebody, you should at least argue productively, not just engage in ad hominem attacks. Secondly... There are things you can learn from those who are older than you. You got to be humble enough to ask. But uh, if you ask and you especially ask the kind of questions like he poses, uh, you can learn a lot from a person, even if you don't necessarily agree with what the answer is that they've given you. Ask them about their life experience. You're not going to get a wrong answer. You will get insight into how they see the world. But he says the third and final reason he doesn't use the phrase, OK, boomer is because it it really doesn't follow that the boomers have destroyed the world. Okay, so for all of Greta Thunberg's outrage, how dare you? Things are actually getting better in many ways. He says, uh, in fact, uh, things have, have never been better in some ways. All over the world, poverty rates are rapidly decreasing and few seem to notice. And he says the Wall Street Journal reports the global population living in extreme poverty has fallen below 750 million for the first time since the World Bank began collecting global statistics back in 1990. That's a decline of more than 1 billion people in the past 25 years who are no longer living in extreme poverty. That's good news, right? He says the data is almost too hard to believe. Between 1990 and 2015, more than 137,000 people escaped extreme poverty every day. And it's the world's poorest who've been getting richer faster than anybody else, than everybody else, rather. So he says when people my age complain about how terrible things are and they blame it on the boomers, he goes, I just don't buy it. I don't laud the boomers for making things great, mostly because I tend not to think of these things collectively. If I were to analyze the innovations and progress that has made the world better off, I would find an orchestra of individuals trying to make their own corner of the world a little better, not people of a specific generation making it worse. So he says, for all of these reasons, I choose not to say, okay, boomer. Sure, it's a funny meme, but if we let this slip into common vernacular, we're in for a world of hurt. Being reasonable, polite, and mindful is a much better alternative. It's easy to be dismissive and snippy towards those who claim they know better than you, especially if they hold age and experience over you. 
But he says this doesn't mean boomers are right about everything. They're not. Nobody is. At the end of the day, OK Boomer isn't really about the boomers. It's about how we choose to carry ourselves. Do we have the integrity and composure to engage in reasoned argumentation? Can we maintain a mindset of gratitude even when it seems like we have every reason not to? Are we able to faithfully articulate our ideas? Can we show a little intellectual humility even when others do not? Now, he says, of course, these things aren't as easy as they sound, but identifying proper modes of conduct is the first step in actualizing them. Knowing is half the battle, and just by striving to improve ourselves, others take notice, and that has a ripple effect on the environment around us. And he says, who knows? If a boomer takes notice, they might even have some restored faith in your generation. That's pretty solid. Listen, I'll have, a po- I'll have this posted with the show notes when we put this up for podcast on LovingLiberty.net. I would encourage you to check it out. Check out the podcast of all the programs that we carry throughout the day. You'll find some useful links included in the show notes. Don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but feel free to chime in. 801-331-8113. Let's move on to another one. Uh, this is an article by Brandon Smith about the rush to a cashless society only serves globalist interests. Now, this is something that's been on my radar screen for quite some time. And look, I'm, I'm planning a trip to Europe here in the next few weeks. I'm actually going to go spend Christmas with my daughter and my son-in-law in Germany. And I'll admit I'm a little bit nervous, you know, the, the prospect of flying over there and then having to drive myself across the Netherlands and up into Germany. Um, that's that's pretty far out there on my, uh, you know, out of the comfort zone scale. But one of the things I'm very grateful for is the fact that a lot of what we can do is cashless. I don't have to worry about carrying around a big bag of gold coins or silver coins or, you know, bills with me. Most everything I have to buy, I can just, you know, whip out the plastic and away we go. Having said that, though, the convenience does not offset some of the concerns about a cashless society. I want you to hear how Brandon Smith explains this. I think he has a marvelous handle on the situation. He says a fundamental pillar of true free markets is the existence of choice. The availability of options from production to providers to purchase mechanisms without interference from governments or corporate monopolies. Choice means competition. Competition drives progress. Now, he says choice can also drive changes within society. For if people know a better or more secure way of doing things exists, why would anyone stay trapped within the confines of a limited system? At the very least, he says people should be allowed to choose economic mechanisms that work best for their particular situation. Now, of course, this is not how our society functions today. And he says the free market does not exist anywhere in modern nations, including the U.S. Whenever I hear someone, usually a socialist, blame free market capitalism for the oppressive ailments of the world, he says I have to laugh. The alliance between governments and corporate monopolies that what uh, Mussolini called national socialism or fascism makes free markets utterly impossible. And he says, what we have today is an amalgamation of socialist economic interference and corporatocracy. Our system is highly restrictive and micromanaged for everyone except the money elites, who do not have to follow the same sets of rules the rest of us do. Now, he says, of course, I might be preaching to the choir when it comes to these issues, 
But there are some underlying developments being pushed by globalists hell-bent on a one-world monetary system and a one-world government that even many liberty activists are not fully aware of. He says, in alternative economic circles, the U.S. dollar is seen as the end-all, be-all of fiat, fiat currency dominance. He says many activists see it as the key to the power of the global elites, and they think the Federal Reserve is the top of the globalist pyramid. But he says this is not exactly true. The U.S. dollar itself is just another tool of the banking cabal. And tools sometimes lose their usefulness over time. While it could be said that for the past several decades, the dollar as the world reserve currency was the core of globalist influence, this is about to change, and we can see the signs today. The rush towards a cashless society in the past a few past few years, he says, is startling, and unfortunately, too many liberty activists have been suckered into, think, into thinking that it's a good thing. Now, there are a number of reasons for this. As mentioned above, he says activists see the dollar or the Fed note as fuel for the globalist machine, so obviously they'd like to see it go down in flames. They're also generally proponents of free markets, and the exploding trend of cryptocurrencies has given them the illusion that choice is returning to the economy through monetary competition. Now, Brandon Smith says, I understand the basis for this attitude, and I appreciate where it's coming from. But he says, I also have never been a proponent of the dollar or any other central bank fiat system. The article should not be this article should not be misinterpreted as a defense of dollar hegemony. That said, he says there's a much bigger agenda at play here, and the dollar is only one fading part of it, as it's being quietly replaced by a completely digital framework. We once again have to ask ourselves, who really benefits from a sudden shift in the economic and monetary world? Who gains political and social power through a cashless society? Is it the public? Or is it the same banking elites and globalists who have always held sway over our economic structure? In 2017, he published an article called The Globalist One World Currency Will Look a Lot Like Bitcoin. In it, he says he warned about the trendy marketing of cryptocurrencies to the general public by the mainstream media and said he was extremely suspicious of it and found it contrary to the notion that the establishment was terrified of Bitcoin or blockchain technology putting them out of business. He says, I also warned of the deep involvement of international banks like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan in the process, in the progress, rather, of blockchain infrastructure. And more specifically, Goldman Sachs and the IMF's love affair with digital monetary systems. Goldman Sachs even referred to the blockchain as, quote, the new technology of trust. So he says, clearly, the banking elites are not worried about this technology. In fact, they've been investing in it heavily. But why? Brandon Smith says, I've long held that the current popular cryptocurrencies are nothing more than a beta test for a global digital currency controlled by the elites. Now, he says, this is not to say that many people are familiar with uh, with, Bitco- with using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. He says, in fact, only a tiny percentage of the population ever comes in contact with or trades crypto. But he says, what I'm saying is the terminology, the idea of cryptocurrencies is now widespread. Okay, we got to take a break. The music is playing me off. We'll be back just the other side of these messages.
Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. I don't know if you spend a lot of time, you know, ruminating on the idea of a cashless society. I like to pay attention to it only because I think it was about 25 years ago, a writer by the name of Don McIlvaney. Some of you might remember his name. Uh, used to put out a monthly newsletter called the McIlvaney Intelligence Advisor. And one of the things that he talked about in one of his newsletters was something he called electronic fascism. And I know that sounds, ooh, buzzword, fascism, you know. But he was talking about specifically how when money becomes purely electronic, it allows some areas of mischief to develop that, that don't currently exist, or at least aren't absolute, Number one, every single purchase that you make under an electronic currency system is trackable, taxable. It's all out there in the open. There's nothing you can buy if you're using digital or electronic currency that, that can't be found out. Now, you know, this is not to say that, uh, you know, you're out there breaking the laws, but I mean, come on, let's face it. Virginia's trying to outlaw, you know, certain types of uh, guns, gun parts. They, they want to outlaw even the possibility of, uh, for crying out loud, uh, teaching somebody how to put together a firearm. How scary is that? That's something we can bring up in the next hour. But the bottom line is your life becomes an open book. And even even more disturbing than that, if... Your ability to purchase things is dependent upon you being recognized within that system. All it takes is deactivating your ability to make purchases to make you an unperson. That's kind of a scary thought. Going back to Brandon Smith's article, he says, thanks to a vast amount of media attention, Bitcoin is a household brand, even though most people have never owned a Bitcoin or even a portion of a Bitcoin. Whale investors have hyperinflated the price of Bitcoin and certain other coins to levels beyond all reason, as demand by the investment world and average people for the mechanism is minimal at best. These price explosions, though brief, have spurred public curiosity. And he says in the minds of many, if something is considered valuable, no matter how ethereal or arbitrary the measure, there must be a reason, right? Therefore, in the minds of Bitcoin cheerleaders, high market prices prove by default that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are necessary and desirable. And anyone who's critical or skeptical is merely upset that they missed out on the opportunity. Now, he says, I've always said when asked about my position on Bitcoin and crypto, that if you want to try to make money on one of these coins and you can play the market, then by all means, more power to you. But... For those who thought that cryptocurrencies are a tool of activism or for activism or for fighting the central banks, he says, all I can tell you is you've been duped. Over the course of a decade, the masses have become acclimated to the idea of a digital currency system. In fact, they're now being acclimated to the idea that physical currencies should be done away with, replaced with the more efficient blockchain tech. Death to the dollar, death to the Fed, and death to the globalists, say activists as they cheer for the new digital landscape. But he says this is not what's really happening. The death of the dollar and physical cash is only the primer for a new and even more invasive world order. In the past two years, he says the agenda for a cashless system and a one-world currency has gone mainstream. 
The plans that liberty analysts were once called conspiracy theorists for talking about 10 years ago are now out in the open. And the latest barrage of propaganda was launched by the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, who openly warned at the end of the dollar's uh, warned of the end of the dollar's world reserve status, comparing it to the end of the pound sterling's reserve status after World War II. He also noted that the dollar could be replaced by a new digital currency system and that this would be advantageous to the banking system. Now, curiously, this piggybacks on comments made by globalist and PIMCO CEO Mohammed El Aryan in 2017, who stated in an op-ed that the IMF's special drawing rights basket system could be used to replace the dollar as a world reserve and that this would help to fight the rise of populism. By the way, uh, populism is the reason Donald Trump is president, just so we're clear. Next, Facebook introduced the concept of the Libra digital currency, which Mark Carney also suggested central banks would be watching closely. Libra, says Brandon Smith, is a test designed to lure wider public into using digital currency on a regular basis. As noted, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies gained exposure but not preference. Where they failed to infiltrate the daily trade of the average citizen, Libra could eventually succeed. Now, he says, so far, I think the reaction is not what the globalists hoped for. Facebook is taking it slowly by introducing a new internal payment system called Facebook Pay, similar to PayPal, Libra, or something like it, that will likely make a reappearance in the next couple of years on Facebook and on other platforms. Next, former ECB chief Jean-Claude Trichet argued in favor of a digital version of the SDR basket system at the Kaixin conference in, in Beijing, arguing that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were not stable enough or legitimate enough to take on the role of central bank currencies. Now, many argue that this is proof that the globalists are afraid of cryptocurrencies. Brandon Smith says, on the contrary, I see this as yet another example of the ongoing fake battle between bankers and crypto. They criticize certain aspects of the technology while at the same time investing in it and promoting it. Like the false left-right paradigm, there's a kind of false central bank crypto paradigm as well. Trichet's argument for an IMF-dominated cryptocurrency was surely welcomed in Beijing, where the Chinese have long supported the proliferation of the SDR and called for the SDR to replace the dollar. The Chinese are not the only ones. The Russian government has also called for the IMF to take over the global monetary system with the SDR basket. Russia has all but decoupled from the dollar, dumping its U.S. Treasury holding, stockpiling a large supply of gold, and removing the dollar in bilateral trade agreements with other nations. Last year, Europe began establishing a new alternative to the U.S.-controlled SWIFT payment system. Germany, in particular, criticized the U.S. system as a geopolitical weapon. Well, now an association of major banks in Germany and in the EU is calling for a digital euro based on the blockchain ledger. The IMF has been openly publishing white papers that agree with the assessment that a global digital currency is needed. And with former IMF head Christine Lagarde now in charge at ECB, he says it's likely that a euro cryptocurrency system will soon make a public appearance. In the meantime... Multiple central banks are pursuing a cashless system and digital currencies of their own. So you have China announcing the national digital currency system will be realized sometime in the next 18 months. The Swiss central bank 
is exploring digital currency options. Russia is considering launching a cryptocurrency as well. And didn't I just read something about Russia just actually built a Bitcoin mining computer? I believe they put it in or near a brand new power station. Because apparently it takes a whole lot of power and they've built some kind of supercomputer that's going after cryptocurrency. You'd have to know a little bit about Bitcoin to understand that it's mined and uh, that that people have to to seek it out. I couldn't explain it to you, but sounds like Russia is getting serious is, is my point. Brandon Smith says the rhetoric coming from the mainstream media and the banking establishment is that physical methods of payment will soon disappear. This is being called the democratization of money and the multipolar world order. And he says, I'm sorry to say that it's the exact opposite. The claim is that the end of cash and specifically the end of the dollar will result in more choice in the monetary world. But the end of physical cash is actually a removal of choice and the result is more centralization. The banking elites are excited about the digital currency model because it removes all privacy from trade. As he's outlined in past articles, Brandon Smith says cryptocurrency and blockchain tech have no anonymity whatsoever, despite claims originally circulated by proponents and crypto activists. It's also clear that central banks intend to introduce their own highly managed currencies and most other coins will be buried in the process. Now, his point here is that real decentralization would mean the removal of bureaucratic oversight and micromanagement. It would mean that physical currencies backed by gold and silver could be offered as an alternative option, not just cryptocurrencies or fiat backed by nothing. After all, gold and silver have far more individual investors worldwide than cryptocurrencies do. How about some real competition instead of price suppression of metals by the likes of J.P. Morgan? He says it would mean localized currencies and payment systems backed by hard commodities, not one worldwide currency or payment system backed by nothing. It would mean nations breaking from dependence, not just on the dollar, but also breaking from globalist institutions like the IMF, BIS and World Bank. He says the globalists are attempting to sell us on slavery by packaging it to us as free markets. But the solution is to not use the systems they promote and be ready to fight tooth and nail for real decentralization. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. I couldn't sleep at night. All I could think about 